Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Today, as we close out 1 Peter, we're going to be talking about having a hope that perseveres. You might remember at the beginning of this series, Peter calls us weary travelers in this life. That our identity as Christians is really uh, weary travelers um, going through a foreign land and experiencing difficulty and experiencing trouble. Um, if you have chosen to follow Christ, um, you're, you're going to travel through a, a land that's full of trouble, but you're also going to arrive at a glorious finish line. Um, we as weary travelers travel with the destination in mind. That's sort of the point of this book is that we as weary travelers would, would travel um, with this, this uh, sight of heaven and being with Jesus uh, in, in the front of our mind. And we're headed for a finish line. So I've, uh, speaking of finish lines, I have watched two marathons. Not movie marathons, but real marathons. Um, so I haven't, I haven't run in them, but um, I, I, I sat there at the finish line and sipped coffee while I watched these guys run across uh, this marathon. And, uh, you know, as they, as they uh, go across the finish line, there's this sense of relief. Is someone going to get that, by the way? Uh, thanks, Lloyd. <laughs> I didn't mean seriously, but that's, that's cool. But you get a sense of relief when you cross the finish line. You know, there's a smile that comes across your face when you, when you finally cross that and, and you're done with running the 13.1 miles or 26.2 miles, whatever, you know, race you're doing. There's a sense of it's, a, it's finished. It's done. Um, you know, we have to persevere through our race to get to the finish line. We have to hold on to the hope of the satisfaction that we'll have once we cross, or otherwise, we'll endure the pain of the race in vain. Uh, Paul makes the connection in 1 Corinthians that if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If we're not living with the end in mind and have a hope that someday we'll see God face to face, our race is in vain. And um, so we need to live with this reality that being a Christian is going to cost us something. In the time that Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it during the time when um, the emperor Nero reigned. And Nero was famous for persecuting Christians uh, in really horrific ways. Um, he would use them as human torches to illuminate his garden at night. And so as Peter's writing this, they're thinking about like how, um, you know, all this, uh, they're thinking about how um, serious this cost could be uh, to them. And nowadays, we don't face that kind of re resistance, praise God. Um, being martyred for our faith probably isn't on our radar, right? We don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, man, I, you know, uh, we, we think about persecution. Um, and you think that this would, would allow us to be, you know, maybe live with more, uh, a more of a bold attitude um, than people who are being persecuted. But for some reason, it, it tends towards the opposite. Uh, living in a safe environment can actually pull us the other way. It can actually make us comfortable. 
And uh, what it can tend to is living in a safe environment can actually make us sleepy as Christians. It's like if you if you don't have that pressure uh, it during a marathon and you just uh, y- you know you just walk it right you can just kind of walk and maybe look at the flowers and maybe find some shade to sit down for a while you know we can get distracted in in a safe environment and so wh- what Peter tells us is that we're not supposed to be um, sleepy Christians sleeping coffee on the sidelines like I was uh, <laughs> like at the at the marathon. Um, we're not supposed to be sleepy Christians on the sidelines, but we're supposed to be active Christians who are running the race and persevering through pain. We need to be in the race. Um, it it makes that finish line so much sweeter when you put everything you have in the race. The finish line becomes the destination we long f- for and not just a, a passing thought. And so as Peter wraps up this letter to weary Christians, he gives them final instructions on how to live the race well. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. These are Peter's final instructions for us. As we run this race, this is what he wants us to hang on to. A good coach, when he prepares his team for game day, he, uh, he doesn't give them a whole huge list of things to, uh, to absorb on game day. He just goes to the fundamentals. You know, what are the things that you need to focus on? Um, he, he tries to make it practical and simple. And so this final section of 1 Peter is like our game plan as weary travelers. What are the key things that we need to focus on? What are the key things that will help us persevere in this race that we're running? And so let's look today. 1 Peter 4 says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. Peter says the end of all things is at hand, or we're in the home stretch of God's plan. We're in the home stretch. So hang in there. Jesus took care of the heavy lifting for us. Jesus is the one who went before us and conquered sin and death and, and died on a cross so that we could be reconnected to God. Jesus has done the heavy lifting, and now we're in the home stretch. And so our task as Christians who are living in, in the home stretch is to um, close out God's plan to save the world. And our job is pretty simple. It's to love God, love others, and love others to God. Like that's what God calls each of us to. That's a combination of the great commandment and the great commission is that we're supposed to love God, love others, and love others to God. And so in loving others, we share this good news that we've received about Jesus. We share this good news that inhe- the inheritance of heaven can be available is available to everyone. So as Peter starts this part, he tells us to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Because of this great task that we have, be self-controlled and sober-minded. He's basically saying stay focused. Stay focused on this task. Don't fall asleep on this mission that we're called to. 
Don't get caught up in whatever's going on around you and, and forget this great thing that you're called to. And we have distractions everywhere. So he's saying, keep sober-minded, stay alert. And so if you want to, um, if, if we want to be successful in this race that God has called us to, these are the three things that help us keep our eyes focused on Christ. These are three things that help us persevere. And so I want to unpack each of these today. So they're to love people from the heart, to serve people with your gifting, and the last one is to accept suffering as a part of following Christ. And that third one is, is the hardest one. But as I look at this letter that Peter's written to uh, two Christians who are suffering, he says, love people from the heart, serve people with your gifting, and accept suffering as part of following Christ. That's what Peter distills this down, down to. And uh, first I want to look at loving people from the heart. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter tells us the primary thing we need to do in order to keep up in the race is to keep loving each other earnestly or zealously. Be passionate about loving people inside and outside the church. It's this fundamental thing that we do. Just love passionately. Keep loving people. Don't give up on loving people. Don't get tired of it. Um, love is what, our, what the church is supposed to be known for. Jesus told his disciples this in John. He said, A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love is supposed to be this great mark of the church, that when people look at the church, they see love. They experience love. That's what is kind of the, the glue that kind of holds us together. Love is really what draws people into community. When they see love be between uh, Christians and between us loving others in our community, um, it's the key. Peter says that love covers a multitude of sins. Love allows us to let go of our pride and, um, and simply love from a heart that is focused on Jesus. Um, love helps us to, to overcome when we run into minor squabbles. You know, we don't, when we run into, when we run into something that we don't like or uh, when we have disagreements, we don't run, but we engage. We stay engaged. And, and we don't let our pride get in the way of what God wants us to do. Proverbs 19 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to look over an offense. You know, many of the things that can cause division in the church are, are minor, are minor offenses. And so we as Christians, um, we shouldn't overreact when, uh, when people uh, say something we don't like or um, you know, when, when there's a disagreement, but we should instead seek understanding and peace in those situations. You know, because of God's love for us, we're able to let down our defensive posture and seek understanding and peace. Um, Bob Hyatt, who's a pastor in Portland, he talked about how real community can really only be built when we love each other through the challenging times. When we hit challenging times, when we choose to love each other, that's, what's ac that's what actually builds community. He says this. He said, God calls us to love the real church, not the fantasy church. 
in real community isn't born out of successes and good times. It's born out of those hard times that require all members to reassess and reaffirm their commitment, not only to God and his church, but to the particular church community of which they are a part, the real flesh and blood people around them who are struggling to see their way through disappointment, failures, and pain. I really like that. We're supposed to love real people. We are real people, right? We, we aren't perfect, right? No one in here is perfect. And so we need to not look for um, a perfect community, but a real community, one that, works through, uh, one, one that works through things when things get difficult. But how do we get there? How do we get there? I want to suggest this. It's really hard to love people when you're running on empty. Would you agree? It's really hard to love people when you're running on empty. If we aren't making time for a relationship with God that's vibrant, that's full, then our cup is going to be empty. And so that's where it starts, is it's spending time with God and, and having that full cup so that we can go and love others. Uh, if, we're not, if we're not spending time with God, our cup is not going to be full. It's going to be hard to love people in a sustainable way. It'll just be kind of like doing it on our own strength. I think it's cool that Jesus always took time for his father. Jesus always took time to spend with God. He always had times of quiet reflection and prayer. He, he didn't neglect his own soul. He, uh, he cared for it. He cared for this relationship with God. He craved those times where he could get away and, and fast and pray up on the mountain. You know, uh, it's so important that we don't neglect our own spiritual health. And it's so important that we don't neglect the spiritual health of our family. Doing so, it'd be, it'd be like a doctor trying to perform surgery with an open wound, right? And he's trying to hovering over somebody, and he's just got an open wound. The doctor needs to get taken care of first before he goes and takes care of someone else. And sometimes we're in those seasons where that's what it feels like and that's what loving feels like, but we can do our part to spend time with God so that our cup can be full. Uh, Peter gives this practical expression of love where he tells, he tells people to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. We, how we welcome people into our homes, into our lives, it's this sign of healthy love. It's an opportunity to love people from the heart you know it's it's god doesn't want us to invite people into our home because we have to right or uh, ha be in relationship because we have to he wants that relationship to be genuine right um you know nobody nobody wants to be the guy who was invited just because they had to and so um we need to make sure that as we extend love that that's coming from a place uh, of a full heart and I'm preaching that to me, too, because I so there are times where I want to close out all the all the shutters and just kind of blockade myself in my house. Um, but there are times where we where we want to spend time with people. And then there's other times where we want to rest. And both are important. Both are important. We need to do both well. We need to rest well and we need to love people well in order to make this work. And so if you're, if you're extroverted, you might need more help resting well. And if you're introverted, you might need more help, okay, I need to actually, you know, invite some people over. 
Um, and maybe if you're like me, you've experienced that tension of like, wha- what is the balance there? But just make sure that you're, you're getting the most out of both. You're getting the most out of both opportunities. So that that's the first part of Peter's game plan is to love people from the heart. And the second part of the game plan is to serve people from your gifting. Um, using our spiritual gifts is God's primary way that we're supposed to bless the church. It's, it's the way that we express love to each other and toward others. God's given each of us a gift. We all have a gift. We all have a spiritual gift that God's given us that either we, we know what it is or we are in the process of discovering it. And Peter says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We help each other persevere in this journey of following Christ through using our spiritual gifts in community. God's wired us uniquely to serve a unique purpose in his body. You know, if I look back on my life, I can see how God has has uh, how God has used different people's gift to um, for my own benefit. Um, I've seen how God had used a friend who had an evangelistic gift to bring me back to God. Um, God used someone with a prophetic gift to inspire me to go deeper in my relationship with God. God's used people with the gift of hospitality and generosity and service in times where I was weak um, and to, to build me up. And, um, you know, when we moved to Blaine last summer, God used people with hearts to serve to help us, like, get on track because I can't, I really, uh, I, I can't organize a moving van. I'll just admit that. So um, God brought somebody who had that specific gift, the gift of packing, and uh, it was awesome. Um, but we've all been given gifts according to this varied grace of God. And it's incredibly diverse. Like all of our gifts are, are super diverse. So there's five different lists of spiritual gifts in Scripture, and none of them are exhaustive. None of them are complete. And so I think what that says is our gifts in the Spirit of God can be very, very diverse. They don't all look the same, and they shouldn't all look the same. If you think about all the different parts that you have, you know, if we're called the body of Christ and you think of all the different systems and parts that you have in a body, I mean, that's a lot, right? And so there's all sorts of different gifts that God gives us uh, in order for, uh, for us to uh, benefit and be a complete body and benefit each other. And what's cool is that God will often redeem parts of our lives um, that we... <laughs> that were difficult and use them for his glory and use them for his kingdom. Um, one example, and I asked permission before I, uh, I talked about this, but Dakota, who's up here playing Cajon earlier, um, God has used a former addiction for him to actually start a CR ministry and, and start to walk alongside and build up and shepherd guys who are going through addiction. Um, not only that, in the process of Dakota doing that, he's discovered that he has a gift in teaching. And so what's cool is for us to be able to come alongside him, and I'm actually going to hand him the keys next week. He's going to preach next week. So I'm excited for that. We could give it up for him if he was here, but he's with kids. Um, but he has this gift of teaching that he's discovering in community. Um, so how does God want to use you? 
to build up his church? How does God want to use you to reach out? How are you, uh, what is your gifting? You may know and you may not know. If you don't know, if you're unsure, I think the one sure place that we can find out where we're gifted is in community. It's when we're in relationship with each other, where we have other Christians affirm like, man, you're good at that. That's where you succeed. When you did this, that really touched me, you know. Um, That's where we really find our gifts. And we have freedom in the church to try things, you know. Like, okay, I'm just going to try this. I'm going to try facilities, right? Everybody should try facilities, right, Brent? Okay, yes, try facilities. Um, And we'll discover, like, you know, okay, I am gifted in this or I'm not. And it's okay. It's okay to try something and not like it. Um, but here, as we get started, like we we want to be um, w- in the next couple months, we'll be sharing about uh, uh, on ramps into community and into service that we want you to take advantage of, because we believe that God is doing something great here. Uh, we believe that God is on the move in Blaine and that he wants to build up a church that will reach out to this community that will be an expression of love and a healthy body that people can be absorbed into. And so um, so we'll be talking more about that in the next few weeks. Um, we'll be talking in January about, you know, joining a small group. If you're not already in a small group or a community that meets during the week, we want to emphasize that. Like, that is super important for your walk and your faith. And then a place to serve is equally important. Where is God y- using you? Where is God um, y- building you up and using your gifts where you find fulfillment as a Christ follower. So that is good. Those are sort of the fun things to talk about is uh, love, you know, love from the heart, serve, uh, serve from your gifting. And now we come to the hard part of this message. Um, the final part of this game plan to persevere, which is just written all throughout this letter, is the most challenging. Peter says that in order to persevere, uh, we have to accept suffering. As part of following Christ, we have to almost embrace it. I want you to see what he says here in verse 12 uh, through 16. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You know, when Peter warns about this fiery trial or says we're in a fiery trial, I wonder if the people reading that thought about what was going on with Nero, you know? I wonder if they thought about Christians actually being burnt alive. Um, We don't live in that world, Um, but we still undergo suffering. We still have a fiery trial that we're engaged in. Peter talks about how we have an adversary. We have an adversary, Satan, who says, roaming around, seeking who he may devour. So we Um, If it's not a physical oppression, there is spiritual oppression. There's a war for our soul going on. 
Um, and we see it all the time. There's a war going uh, for our soul going on. We see it in addiction, and we see it in different things. Peter's saying, don't be surprised when you experience trials because you're in a battle. You know, you are in a battle. When you signed up for being a Christian, you entered this struggle. You entered this uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual battle. You know, it's like soldiers shouldn't be surprised when they go to battle and all of a sudden someone's shooting at them, right? It's like, okay, that's kind of what you signed up for. Um, but it's the same thing for us. We all experience many different types of trials and testing. Just like our spiritual gifts are diverse, our t- the, our the types of our trials and testing are all diverse. We experience various trials, whether that's physical, emotional, or spiritual, whether that is grief and loss. Trials test our relationship with God. Where do we go when we're in the fire? Where do we turn when we're in the fire, when we're up against it? Where do we go? You know, as uh, w- while suffering openly for our faith might not be a reality, th- we are all suffering in some way. We're guaranteed suffering. And so while that might not be our reality, we must still accept suffering as part of following Christ. It's part of the deal. Um, Paul even promises in s- promises us suffering. Thank you, Paul. In 2 Timothy, he says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I can't tell you what that persecution looks like for you. Um, what, that, what that suffering looks like for you. Um, but I do know that when we move forward in our faith, when we take the gospel seriously, when we step out into our community, we're going to face some opposition. We're going to face some trouble. Um, and in the face of this opposition, Peter says, don't fear anything. In fact, we should rejoice. We should rejoice. Really? Wh- why would we want to rejoice when we're undergoing all this, f- all this fire? Why would he say that? And, it's be- a- and I think it's because of this. He says that we share in the sufferings of Christ. It's what allows us to share in the sufferings of Christ. So there's an intimacy that we experience with God that is only deepened through our suffering. It's like, it's like when God goes from being our comforter in our heads to the comforter of our hearts. It's when God goes from being the provider in our heads to the provider in our hearts. It's when we take steps like that, when we actually have to lean on God, that it goes from the head to the heart. And so we experience a deeper intimacy with God when we suffer. And know that Peter is not asking these people to do anything that he was not himself willing to do. See, when, when Peter um, was an old man and at the end of his life, he was also crucified like Jesus. When Peter, but when Peter went to the cross, went to his cross, he has to be crucified upside down because he didn't count himself worthy of being crucified like his Lord. You know, Peter isn't asking us or those entrusted to his care to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. You know, if you've ever met someone who's suffered for their faith, it's a pretty profound experience. When I lived in Portland, I, I got the chance to meet a man um, named John Perkins and hear him share about his life. 
Um, John Perkins was an African-American minister in the 1960s in the middle of the civil rights movement. He felt called by God in 1960 to move his family from California right to the heart of Mississippi. Um, as an African-American person, that is a pretty, in the 60s, like that is a pretty risky move. But he moved there to support this black community that's dealing with racism and poverty. It wasn't a pleasant pleasant experience, uh, but he went anyways. And his family not didn't just focus on preaching the gospel, but actually building a community um, where people could thrive. And they started a daycare, and they taught kids uh, Bible studies, and they helped desegregate the local schools in, in this town that they were in, in Mississippi. In 19 one day in 1970, he went to a local jail um, because there were some... Uh, kids being held there that he w was asking for the release of. And in, instead of them releasing these kids, they took John Perkins and they seized him and they beat him there within an inch of his life. And they threw him in jail. Um, they tortured him. He talked about, and I'm not going to go into that, but there's just really, really brutal stuff. And he said that I didn't realize how deep someone could hate other people. And so they, he, when they threw him in jail, he prayed this to God. He said, Lord, if I survive this, I want to preach a gospel that is strong enough to destroy this madness and hatred. And that's the work, when John Perkins got out, that's the work that he's been doing now for 50 years. He's almost 50 years, 48 years. He's worked tirelessly to spread this gospel and start ministries and bring communities together and raise awareness for people to reach out into desperate communities. Um, I wanted to share this quote of his. He said, Yielding to God's will can be hard, and sometimes it really hurts, but it always brings peace. It always brings peace. When we are within the will of God, whatever that looks like, we can have peace knowing that we're in God's will. We can have peace knowing that God is with us. You know, when we kicked off this church, we did a whole series on God is with us. That is a promise that we need to hang on to every day, that God is with us when we take these steps of faith. We're, we're called to accept suffering as part of the journey, whatever that journey lead, leads us, wherever we're called to go. We're, we're called to accept it, and it's not an, maybe a popular thing to say, but it's what Peter is saying here in the letter. Peter says that the truth is actually, we're going to suffer either way. So we, we have a choice. Like, we're going to suffer either way. We can suffer with Christ, or we can suffer without Christ. You know, he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. He could go on, but we have a choice in how we're going to suffer. We can suffer because of our own choices, or we can suffer for the one who's setting us free, the one where the finish line is great. We, we can persevere through suffering now when we truly grab onto what lies ahead, when we have hope that one day all will be restored, when, when we truly believe that. I love how Peter closes out this letter. He brings us to the finish line, and he says this, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love that. After you suffer for a little while. You know, keep in mind the length 
of, of your suffering compared to eternity. You know, it's a drop on the scale. Um, God is going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's pretty amazing. God is going to bring everything to fruition that he, uh, that he had intended to, that your life, you'll be complete. Your life will completely change in the presence of God one day. He's going to restore us to how we were always meant to be. Uh, he's going to confirm us as his children. And then he's going to strengthen us and establish us in heaven. And so as we end today, I want to give you this challenge. And the, and the band can, can come on up as we, as we uh, get ready to close here. But I want to give you this challenge. Live every moment for the moment that God will change everything. Live every moment for the moment God will give you everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> God is going to give you everything one day. Everything that your heart desires um, it will be satisfied in him. You will be complete in him. And so live for Jesus, live for Jesus today with everything you have because one day it will all be worth it. Um, there's an old country hymn called Farther Along that I really like the chorus of. And I wanted to share this with you. Um, it says this. It says, Farther along, we'll know more about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. It's farther along. When we get to that finish line, when we see Jesus, we'll it'll make sense of what's going on right now. It'll make sense of our suffering. You know, I can imagine... Um, <clears throat> can you imagine the satisfaction that you'll have when you see Jesus face to face for the first time? When you actually have lived your life and you suffered and you endured and you kept with it and you see Jesus face to face, it will all be worth it in that moment. Life will be worth it when you see Jesus face to face, when you see the one who's done everything for you, when you see the one who took nails in his hands and his feet for you, when you see the one who carried a cross and died on it for you, it will be worth it in that moment when he can look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It will be worth it in that day. Any pain, that the pain that we have will melt away when we see Jesus. So I want to encourage you to live for that moment. Live for that moment. Don't be surprised when trouble comes. Don't be surprised when heartache comes. Don't be surprised when difficulty comes. But keep pressing on. Because one day our hope will become real. That's our faith, right? That what we hope for will one day be real. That's living by faith. One day we'll get to see God in all his glory. So the question as we close today is, are you willing? Are you willing to live for that moment? Are you willing to give your life for that moment? Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, it's humbling to, to know, God, what you suffered, what you endured. Lord, what thousands of people have suffered and endured, that people have, have actually been killed for their faith, God. It's humbling to, to sit with that weight, God. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to our hearts, God, um, Lord, just w how deep your love is for us, God, that this gospel, this hope, as we 
close out this series, God, would just become more real in our hearts, Father, that we would live with a sense of hope. God, that you would make us people that live with a sense of peace in all circumstances. God, that if we're suffering or struggling or um, are having a difficult time with something, God, would you uh, speak to us in this moment? Would you give us peace in the middle of our storm this morning, God? Lord, I don't know what you will require of each of us, God, but I pray, God, that in our hearts that we would be ready, Father, that we would be engaged in that, God. And as a church community, I pray that you would help us to love one another from the heart. I pray that you you would help us to be a community that seeks you and has a full relationship with you, and because of that, we can love others from the heart. We can love others from a full cup, God. So I pray if our cups are empty, if we're drained, if we look back on 2018 and we're thinking, I'm glad that's over, Lord, I pray that you would fill our cup in 2019 with your presence, God. Lord, that God with us would become just a reality of everyday life. Lord, that you would help us to keep focused on that, that you would fill our cup to overflowing, God. Lord, and out of that, I pray that you would show us how you want us to serve one another, that you would show us, uh, if we don't know, God, that you would reveal uh, how you want us to be used by you, God. How, how do you want us to serve the community, serve your church? What have you called us to specifically, Lord? And so I pray that that would become evident, God. And ultimately, I just pray for a movement of God in this place, in our church, God, in our town, that we would be ready for anything, Lord, that, that we, would, we would commit to this journey we're on, God, and be ready for whatever comes, Lord. Uh, God, we are, uh, we are in love with you. We are thankful for you. God, I pray that you would help us to cling to you even in the tough moments, that we would find life in walking side by side with you, um, that our life would be found in just knowing that you love us, God, and through your spirit, God. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.